This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So I want to first of all thank everyone for coming. Um, pleasure, sorry that we're starting a little bit late. We just had a little, little situation in Brooklyn. Um, I just want to start off before we start tonight with a little word of chizik. I think Clyde Israel needs a little chizik at the moment. Um, what, we're going, what we went through in Muncie and all the other situations. And there are people um, very nervous. A lot of people are going to therapists because Mashiach is coming and how to handle it. Everyone's panicking. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, don't be scared. Be prepared. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I, I think it's very important, specifically in our lives, that you know sometimes things look really bad and really dark. And um, this week's parsha has something very special to teach us. So this week's, if you go to shul this week, so the it's the last parsha. Vayichi is the last parsha in the book of Bereshis, and when they finish the parsha, everyone says, chazak, chazak, v'nis chazak, be strong, be extra strong. The beginning of the parsha, women don't get to see this, I do get to see it because I'm a Kohen, and I get the first aliyah in, in the parsha. So this is a, a parsha called the parsha Stuma. Every parsha in the Torah, between the end of the parsha and the beginning of the next parsha, is a space, a large space, so you can tell Parashas ended, Noach started. Vayichi and Vayigash don't have any space. So it's very hard. Balkar is always looking for the Vayichi. It's called the Pasha Stuma. It's closed. Because Yaakov wanted to tell his children when Mashiach was going to come, and Hashem didn't let him. So he closed his Ruach HaKodesh. So it's called the closed Parsha. Now, it's interesting, very fascinating, that the first word of Vayichi means life, right? And he lived... If you go to the last word, you know, Parshat Vayigash, hold on. Let's go to the last word. This I heard a long time ago from my Rebbe. You got to get that big arch girl, Chumash. Vayigash. Huh? No. Not Rabbi Nilio. I, I remember learning this in Yeshiva, so I don't. Uh, ah, okay. So it says Vayifru, Vayibu Maod, and they they multiply very very much. Vayichi. So my Rebbe said Maod Vayichi, much life, right? Maod Vayichi. He says life is stuma. Everybody wants to know why why good things happen to. Bad people, bad things happen to good people. We have all these questions. The life is closed. Now, the last pasuk that you're going to hear before we say is the last pasuk in, in Bereshit. The last pasuk of a book is the summary of the book. The last pasuk in Devarim says that and what Moshe, all the miracles that Moshe did, and that's the whole end of the whole Torah. So we're looking for some summation, like the last sentence in a, in a, in a, in a book. We're looking for summation. I want to read you the saddest Pasuk in the whole Bereshis is the last Pasuk in Bereshis. What happens? By Yamas Yosef, Yosef dies. Ben Meir Ve'ezter Shanim, he's 110 years old. Vayechantu also, they mummify him. They mummify him, that's what they used to do in Egypt. 
and they put him in a coffin in Egypt, and all the, all the men are going to get up and say, this is just great. He died, they mummified him, put him in a coffin, and left him in Mitzrayim. That's the last Pasuk in the whole book. It doesn't summarize the book at all. It's a very sad message. What's going on over here? Now, the Pasuk before that, before the last Pasuk says, Yoshev made the rest of the Jews swear, God will indeed remember you. When you leave Mitzrayim, Hashem will take you out with you. That should be the last Pasuk. It should have said before that, he died, and they mummified him, and they buried him, even though they never, it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah they put anyone in a coffin. It's the only time they ever said they put, who cares, coffin, palace, stretcher, what's the difference, right? Put him in a coffin, like, why do you have to say that? It's like morbid, right? So that should have been the Pasuk before the end, and the end Pasuk should be, and Hashem won't forget you, and he'll take you out of Mitzrayim, that's how we go into Shemos, and we have hope, we're going to, no. He's dead, he's mummified, he's in a coffin, and they left him in Mitzrayim. So, it sounds like it's the worst Pasuk, but really, and that's why Vayichi is Stuma, that's why life is Stuma, and the reason I'm starting with this is that you should all understand that no matter how bad it looks like in the world and what's going on, Iran, everyone's getting very very uptight and very nervous, and, and, and what's happening to the Jews and anti-Semitism and all this other stuff, the bottom line is we don't, what looks really bad is really very, very good for us. So how could this be very good? So I'll tell it to you very fast. So when, when the Jews came out of Mitzrayim, they went to the Yamsuf, they came to the Yamsuf, and Moshe said, split! And the Yamsuf said, no, I was created, I have, I'm, na- I'm nature, and water freezes, but water floods, but water doesn't split, I'm not splitting. So the measure says that, why did, this, why did it end up splitting? The Yam saw that the Jews were carrying the coffin, same Arayna is the last passage, the, course, the coffin of Yosef, and Yosef, Yosef, Yosef was being seduced by the most beautiful woman in the world. He was far away from his brothers. He had every he went through every trauma. He had every reason to sin, and he he broke his nature because a man's natural woman seducing him naturally that he's going to fall into it. But he broke his nature. and he ran out of the room. He said, "I'm not dealing with this. I'm running out of the room." So the Medjah says, Ma Raha why did the ocean split and run? Because it saw that Yosef brought his, broke his teva, broke his nature, and ran. So Vayanas Yosef, Vayanas Hayam. So that's what, brought, that's what split the Yamsuf. Now, had Yosef not been buried in Mitzrayim, had he been buried in Shechem in Israel like his father Yaakov, the Aron of Yosef would not have been with the Jews when they left Mitzrayim. So the ocean would have never split. Had the ocean never split, the Egyptians would have killed all the Jews who were stuck by the oceans. We would have never gotten to Eretz We would never gotten to Harsinai. We would have never gotten the Torah. And the whole reason Bereshit Barah, that the whole world was created, was only to get the Torah. So without this last Pasuk, Vayamas Yosef, he died. They mummified him. They put him in Aron and they left him in Mitzrayim. Without that Pasuk, there is no Shmos. There is no Shmos. There is no Mitzrayim. There is no going out of Mitzrayim because we would have been stuck. The whole Shmos for Yikra, but Midbar is based on this last Pasuk. Because had it not been for Yosef, the ocean wouldn't have split. Chazak, chazak, benis chazak. It looks like it's the worst, and really it's the savior of Klai And that's something that we all need to know. But even when things look bad, this is the worst Pasuk, it's the best Pasuk. 
And that's the biggest chazak a person can get. That when they're going through life and they're going through hardship, knowing that life is a closed book, that we don't get to see. It's only Hashem's book. So I just felt I should share this with you because it's a very important Torah for this week's parasha. All right, now we can start. All right. Um, I'd like to talk, kick it off with uh, a few administrative items. First of all, thanks to uh, Rewalski and Royaxin for coming. Uh, we all know how busy their schedules are. Um, I'm here because I've been tasked by my wonderful sister-in-law, this isn't something I normally do, um, to quote-unquote moderate this discussion. I think the idea here is, so this is the second time we're doing this, um, I think the idea is great. I, I really anticipate this to be becoming a, a, a big venue. Um, the idea is to elicit conversation, not a lecture, right? So uh, you guys, some of you guys have submitted questions ahead of time. We're looking to get some insightful uh, answers slash discussion to those questions. But there's two parties to a discussion, so please don't hold back. Um, Follow-up questions. Uh, if you have a question on the answer, follow up with that, and I will do my best to facilitate that, and uh, hopefully that will be a Don't forget to push the timer. Avi's <laughs> been kind enough to give us a timer, <laughs> so we can hopefully keep the responses to a, 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 a brief and allow us to answer as many questions as possible. So, without further ado, first of all, Rabbi Wallace and I'm very familiar with um, Rabbi Epstein, I have to confess, um, I just recently met you. Um, not that familiar with your work, but only because um, I only, you know, I've never had a fight in, in, in my marriage. <laughs> a good marriage. Your marriage so, is perfect. Right. So that's really the only reason I, I've never, I've never heard you. Um, I'll open it up with a question. This has not been cleared ahead of time. Um, but from what I understand is that your day job is CPA, I believe. Yeah, I'm an accountant. And your Passion is marriage, helping marriages, yeah. uh, um, dating marriages. Dating marriages. What got you into that, and why? And <laughs> um, you don't usually see that. Yeah, so you don't see this. No. Okay. So my life story is an interesting life story, um, without getting into it too much. But basically, I was learning in Eretz Yisrael, and I am the kind of person that I very much like order. My my life is very organized and orderly. So when I study things, I like to study them very orderly. So when I started going to chassan classes, um, they, they were nice, you know, nice, nice ideas. And uh, a lot of nice divrei Torah and things that you can share over by a, by a vart or, you know, by Shava Rachas. But I didn't feel like I was getting like a full picture of what marriage was. So when I went to Eretz Yisrael, there's a Rav, Rav Yisrael and I approached him and I said, you, you got to teach me everything you know. So he was very close with Rav Nassim Finkel. And he asked Rav Nassim and he took me under his wing. And it was probably one of, if not the most pivotal moment in my life when he took me under his wing, which sort of got me on this track of learning this. And initially I was learning it just for myself. Um, ultimately, people started coming to me and sitting with me. And I got incredible um, shimush, incredible just sitting at his feet and watching how he dealt with people for five years while learning by Rebus Berkowitz, who's, who himself is just an amazing, incredible person. So with, with those two things, my life path was sort of going in that direction. My family has an accounting firm. So that was sort of, you know, my father always jokes that, like, my bris was deductible. It was an office party, and a, and a circumcision <laughs> broke out. So that was sort of like how, how I was raised. So I always sort of had those two things. And 
And as it started adding more and more things into my life, so on the accounting side of things, I do forensic accounting and a lot of other very exciting things. And the marriage side, just, you know, marriages need help. Uh, you could have the gre- greatest marriage, like, like, <laughs> like you could have the greatest marriage in the world, but like, like you know, um, it, it always takes work. And it's a constant struggle. And I think that we're living in a day and time where the challenges of marriage are not necessarily being addressed the way that a lot of other issues in Kali Yisrael are. Uh, people have fertility issues, there are organizations for that. People, you know, boys used to go off the darach, there's 50 yeshivas that deal with that. Marriage is almost like the unspoken epidemic that's happening now. A lot of things that used to just be swept under the rug are no longer swept under the rug. A lot of older couples, I sit with couples that are twice my age, and I sit down with them, and they're, they're not there for their children, they're there for themselves. They're really having real struggles and real problems. So... Because I see that there is a real system to this, that's why I try to throw myself into helping couples out with that. So it's, it's definitely two, two different lives that I'm living, but it's... What can um, I say? Interesting enough, you mentioned actually you're leading into... So, like I said, we had questions submitted. I have a couple of my own. Um, we'll go through the questions submitted, but you're kind of leading right into one of my questions, so I'll take advantage of my position up here. Um, when we talk about marriages in the firm world, and that runs the spectrum of the firm world, is your is there any? Do you have any opinion? And I will look for answers from both, and we'll try to keep it uh, moving. Is there any opinion from your experience from both boys and girls, or both, as to their level of readiness for marriage when they're getting married? So, part of it is we have a systematic or a system where the boys and girls go through the system. At some stage in that system, they get married because that's what we do. Yeah. Do you think that in today, boys and girls are, do you see them being ready or one versus the other? Girls being more ready, boys less so. What are your thoughts? Okay. You want me to go first on this? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, Rabbi Wallerstein, just, I just want to say something. Rabbi Wallerstein, when I moved from Staten Island to Brooklyn, because I was in Israel, then I was in Staten Island, and then I moved to Brooklyn, so I met with Rabbi Wallerstein. And he said, I'll give you 10 minutes of my time, which for him is a very long time. And he, we were there for two hours in his office. And he said to me, Ruvain, I'm going to keep you the busiest man in Brooklyn. So he's definitely lived up to that um, by you know, sending, I don't know how many people, but it's, it's Baruch Hashem, it's very busy. Um, my answer is like this. I, I, I think that when you, whenever you look at a system, you have to look at what the system is, is structured to do, and then you have to look at individual cases. Now, I teach... I teach the gamut, meaning I teach people from who are totally not religious, not even in the system, not even in the system, people who dropped out of the system, people who are currently in the system, and people who will probably one day be leading the system. You know, they will be like the future leaders of Kali Yishol, the future Rashi Yeshiva. So I'm teaching the gamut of everything. I definitely don't think that there's a one answer to anything. There are people that I meet with that are 28, and they're saying, listen, I'm already 28, I don't know, I'm older... Um, I have to get married just because, you know, clock is ticking. I've got to get married. Whether it's a, a man or a woman, they'll be, they'll be saying that. And I'll say to them, not ready. It just, like, it's just not ready. For you specifically, like, you're not ready. And I don't think that everyone comes out. Take, I always joke that there's bar mitzvah boys that, like, they're sitting there. They're like, you know, like, the, that kid at the bar mitzvah, he's like, that kid. And then there's the kid who's like, you know, like, he's looking up. He doesn't know, like... He doesn't know what's flying, right? So, like, is a bar mitzvah boy a bar mitzvah boy? Yeah, he's 13 years old. But, like, some kids are this and some kids are that. And I think when it comes to chas and kalas, it's very much the same way. Some of them are 
clueless and with a lot of education, they can get there, and some of them are not. But that being said, I am a big fan, in general, of people getting married at an age where they're able to mold with their partner. So age is always, I know there's the Nasi project and there's these other projects. In general, I'm a big fan of people getting married when they're ready at the earliest stage of readiness. So this way you're ready, and now you're able to mold with somebody else, rather than somebody saying, I'm going to live out half my life, make all my decisions, because at the end of the day, being malleable and having flexibility of mind with somebody else is one of the key ingredients, as you know, of a successful marriage, right? So in order to be able to have that happen, you can't be set in your ways, you can't be stubborn, and sometimes being too ready is a detriment, and it's not going to help out the marriage very much. So in my opinion, I don't think that there's one answer at all. I think that the system is just that. It's a system. And because of that, sometimes people come out rocked up and ready to roll. And sometimes people come out and they don't know, they don't know their head from their foot. And they're going to need a lot of help ongoing. And when I teach a chassan, I try to give them all the tools. Some of them, they get married. They're like, great, I'll never speak to you again because like, I'm good. They'll call, whatever. But some of them I know, it's going to be a daily phone call. <laughs> We're going to be in touch every day for the first few months <laughs> and, and beyond, you know, to infinity and beyond like we are getting married basically all three of us together like you, you guys will walk down the aisle and I, i'm gonna be there with you until you, you know until this mold sort of you know solidifies so i don't think that there's one answer but i do think that with a lot of education i think that many marriages can be very very strong even if in the beginning they may be a little bit rocky so a chasen teacher who's not just going through the motions is definitely helpful i think so to, okay <laughs> I'm going to say something radical, um, even though even though I don't, I, I'm not. I, I I said it about a, a year ago. I got a lot of reaction on it, but I'm I'm just I just see a lot of people, and I'm just going to stick with this. Um, so where do you learn how to be married? Like they don't they don't really. I mean, you get to Ruvain, but that's already late, very late. So you really learn how to how to be married from your parents. So, so you know your expectations of how you, you know how you're going to treat your wife is how your father treated your wife, and and if it was a, if, we, if if you have a functional parents, then you'll probably have a functional marriage. But that's not radical. What I'm what I'm about to say is the following: if the if the boy has midos, if the boy is brought up in a way that he's kind, he helps his mother, he thinks about other people. He's a Baal Midos. He's not a Baal Gaiva. He can't be a big shot. He's not a Baal Kaisen. He doesn't have a temper. And I feel that... this is I'm ready for this. I hope the crowd has something to say about this. I think that any guy who is a Baal Midos can marry any girl who is a Baal Midos and it will work amazing. <laughs> No, I think you actually mentioned that. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, no, but you got to be, you got to be attracted, and you got to have that feeling, and you got to have this, and you got to have that. I'm not, I'm not saying you should be, you shouldn't be attracted. But a person, I just had this discussion in seminary yesterday. So, um, we we talked about beauty, and um, we, we, it was my. They ha, they now have midwinter, so. So it was, a, it was a share on music and the effect that music has on people and the effect of what Torah has on people against what the other side has on people. And I took, I took pictures, I brought pictures into seminary of Rav Palm, of Rav Moshe, of these lit up, soft, fa- a girl made a comment a few weeks ago, 
that rabbis are not good looking. The girl made all of a sudden in seminary. She goes, you know, you know, like all these big tzaddikim. One is short. One is fat. One is not so nice. And and that really ticked me off. Like, <laughs> like, no, no, no. She didn't uh, mean like she mean like gedolim. Uh, she wasn't talking about us. She talking about she talking about she talking about gedolim. Like the gedolim are not good looking, right? So I got really upset. I got very upset. I said, you know what? We're gonna give a sh- we're gonna do a share on this. So I did this once. I did this once in, in my in my BCA in my in my high school because there was a girl that was hopping down you know and they were listening to their to their rap whatever they were listening to their music and she was hopping down and she had her earbuds in and I said could I hear what you're listening to and she gave me her earbud and she was listening to some very nasty music like really nasty curse words and 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 darkness and whatever it is and I'm like how like how do you expect to be happy if you're listening to this rage which is pure rage. Right, so I did a whole thing with them. It's not for tonight. I don't, I don't want to take too much time. I'm not giving you a share. But I did a whole thing. I put, I, I had them listen to this music, my whole group, and I had them close their eyes. It's something you should try. Listen to the music, close your eyes, and write, and, and write right after you hear the song what you saw in your head. What did you see when you had your eyes closed? So I was, I was in the middle of a whole book at that time about what goes on in your head subconsciously and how movies, you, 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 they take you on this ride before... Like the guy gets shot, the music goes dan 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 dan. So your head, your atrium gets shot. It's not gonna be dead 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 dead, and someone's like a seagull flying over the ocean, right? <laughs> so there's this subconscious. I was reading a book on advertising and marketing that most of their stuff is not what you see flashing on the TV, but it's what's behind it. And I found it very fascinating. So it's subconscious. So I had these girls write down, and they, they wrote darkness, rage, anger, hatred. And then I put on uh, Mama Rachel, and um, and I told them what to write, and they wrote hopefulness and and love and love and kind. And one one girl said a seagull flying over the ocean and whatever. And I said that's what's going on in your head. That's your subconscious. So when this girl said this to me, I'm like, you don't really know what beauty is if you think it's a straight nose with high cheekbones, you know, six two in great shape with muscles. You understand that's not really beauty. And this it just happens to me that yesterday the girl broke up with her boyfriend. And she's like, you don't even understand how right you are. I thought he was the best looking guy in the world, but whatever, he cheated, he did this, he did this, he did this. That guy is as ugly as any, as you can, I said, what do you mean he's ugly? He's, he's like such a good looking guy. She goes, when I met him, he was good looking, he's not good looking anymore. So I took out all these pictures and I passed it around the room and I passed pictures that I got from a different magazine of very angry people. And I said, and, and at the end of this year, they admitted that Rapam is beautiful, even though they didn't like his teeth. <coughs> They didn't like this. They didn't like that. They're like, teeth are not nice. This is not nice. This is not nice. So that was the beginning. Of the, at the end of the show, I was like, I said, isn't that who you want to marry? So I think very much, you know, there's so much put on. And you, and you have to have feelings. Don't get But But if someone is very nice and someone's about Midos and the person's a superstar, her or him, they're beautiful. And you're going to have feelings for them because... Again, the problem is nice guys finish last, and for some reason, I don't, don't, you know, don't get angry at me, ladies, but, but, but for some reason, girls like bad boys. And bad boys that do tshuva and become good boys, they're waiting online when they get off from Eretz Yisrael in Kennedy Airport. Everyone's waiting for that guy. Like, he was a bad boy, and, you know, he, and, and now he's a good boy. So, so it's just, yeah, okay, no, no pointing, no pointing. So I feel, what you, to answer your question, I feel... You know, education and this and 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 chassan teachers, the guy's a good guy and the girl's a good girl. They're gonna live so well together. All the other stuff is just stuff. But to some degree, if I can, you know, you have you, you mentioned a, a boy with good meters and a girl with good meters. 
that means that they have instilled with them the ability to give and not only take, right? Which is where I'm assuming you're going with that, right. which allows the, the, the molding. Is that really the only thing? But you can have two people with very good midos, but different hashkafos or different desires of where the end goal is going to be. You know, the midos won't surpass so that. So that won't, that'll, well, that, what that, that shit is not going to happen. If this guy wants to learn and she wants a working boy, it's not, it's not going to happen. They're not going to go out. Right. No, I mean, but there are, there are definitely subtleties within relationships, right? You could have, even within a certain hashkafa, meaning they overall they ride. She's adamant. See those couples where they're just like nice to each other, like naturally nice to each other. Yeah, but there's it's like, there has to be. I think. I, I what? Yes, we're gonna let it sit. Go ahead. Yeah. No, behind you there was someone. So I I agree, theoretically, in what you're saying, except. I think the part that probably you can relate to a little bit more in terms of the psychology aspect is that two different upbringings, two different households, two different types of, I want to say like philosophies of the house, as you were brought up that way, that stuff doesn't leave you, even though you then went to Israel and from out when you were a bad boy or, <laughs> or you, or the group, like that stuff doesn't leave you, like how communication and um, how you look at things in life and what you appreciate and what you don't. So those things don't leave you in your life just because you have good midos. You can have two people with excellent midos, but there's a lot. I don't want to call it baggage because that makes it negative, but there's a lot that you come with as a person from your childhood that you've experienced that isn't necessarily pleasant until you are in certain circumstances that maybe trigger it or there are things that come up. So it's a great theory to say if you have two people with good midos, which I It's not just good midos. It's, it's a step above that. You know, there's a saying, there's, it's a play on words. There's no I in us, just you. Right. When it's just you, all that stuff's not that important. When, when, when your happiness makes me happy, I don't know, it doesn't matter what you were brought up or what you went through. That's, if that's what makes me happy and my happiness makes you happy, we could have all kinds of stuff and triggers and all that stuff. But if that's what, that's what I'm about... So let me let me let me say like this. Let me say like. Yeah. Wait. Kai just addressed this, and then and then and then tell me if you still have a question after this, okay? When I deal with couples, I I'm very forward thinking. Um, what's going on backwards is is you can't you can't change that you grew up here or they grew up there or whatever it is. But I'm a very forward thinker. So for me, if I were to sum up like what what is the tool that will help almost every relationship. It is exactly what the rabbi is saying. And that is, get up in the morning and say to yourself, for the next 24 hours, what does my spouse need from me and how am I going to give it to them unconditionally without expecting anything in return? If you focus on that every day, I've never promised in my life because it's like a family thing, we don't promise, but I could promise you, your relationship will skyrocket so fast. That's what it is, right? So that... I think it has to be both. Otherwise, yeah, right. It's abuse. Yes. Otherwise, it's abuse. And if you have right, right, right and if you no, have two, if you no, have no, two right, people, it has to be both. right. If you both. have two people doing that, it will be it will be incredible. A hundred percent. Right, and you'll become a total nothing. So if you have that outlook on your marriage, it definitely will go. Now, in in a in a shallower sense and in an earlier sense, 
I think that we definitely need, because very few people get married. I've taught very few people like that. Yeah, I've taught very few people who come into marriage, they go like, oh, anything they want. They're, you know, I'm just so lucky to have this person. Most people, I say to them, I have my, I'm like an interactive when I teach chasanim. So I say, tell me what it is that you want from the relationship. And, oh man, people are, they have a laundry list what they, what they expect. And I'm like, and what do you plan on giving to the other person? I'm like, oh, I haven't thought that through. Like, I don't know. I'm not, I wasn't really focused on them. Like, I'm more focused on me. Like, you're dating. Like, does this work for me? Like, what do I want out of this? So, yes, if you're able to make that switch, any relationship will instantly improve very, very quickly. Going in, though, I would, I would argue and say that you probably do need, just from, from the, for the selfish people, you need a little bit more, like, meaning the background should be more compatible. You should be dating emotionally to see that you're midos, when they're challenged, that you'll be able to hear things out like, oh, I hear what you're saying, and I understand you, and I sort of know what to expect from you, and hashkafically. And then those people will be, you'll be way ahead of the pack when you become going really back, selfless. Going back to the question. Yeah, going back to the question, so, so what are you teaching? How do you teach your children marriage? You teach them midos. Yes, yes. Well, I think on top and, of that, it's teaching them midos, but you had talked about this on numerous occasions. It's... It's demonstrating it, right? Yeah, kind of saying. example. Don't talk about right. A a guy and a girl having both phenomenal midos. I think there's an assumption that they're coming from a home where they've seen it and absorbed it, and therefore can live it. Hundred percent. Not always. Some people do the work on their own. Yeah, they come from very dysfunctional homes. You have a much better shot, but there are people, kids from dysfunctional homes that homes. That are, that their midos are amazing. They just didn't take in what they watched at home. Right. They went the other way. Right. Yeah. It's work, though. They got, they got to do a lot more work. Okay. 100%. Were you happy with the answer? She wants to answer. Were Someone in the question. Yeah. Because I think if I'm... I think... She, uh, were you just... Did you ask to repeat the question? She's going to say something. The question you're supposed to ask every day. Oh, what are you supposed oh, to ask? Oh, what are you supposed to say? You're supposed to get up in the morning and say, what does my spouse need from me? And then give that to them unconditionally, without expecting anything in return, the whole day. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I think the question, if I could be wrong, it's more of, is society forcing us to get married younger and we're not necessarily ready? So then we will, even if you have amazing needs, it's very nice, but if you come from a lot of baggage, I'm going to use the word baggage, yeah. a lot of us have Designer, it. designer baggage. Fine, designer baggage. <laughs> 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 walk into the marriage at 18 years old and even it doesn't matter what role model you have right. I, I can admit you 18 is young right. um, it, is, is society forcing I think that's what I think the question is asking well what do you oh, think is going to happen between 18 and 26 to develop someone's midos what's changing why do you want it to be older no, unless, when unless older, they are you're more secure in yourself I think, you those, I think you're more selfish when you get Not older. No? I think when you, a lot of people are searching for themselves at 18 and then they're doing things that they shouldn't be or they are they just marry, let's say, someone that they don't necessarily want to be with because they have to. That's true, but we find, we find the older you get, the more selfish you get. For sure, I agree. But you I get, you get set in you your ways and that's it and I want this and I want that. Right. When you're 18, so, you don't want anything. You want to have exactly. fun. You want to go, you want to so write. You leave high school and everyone's like, oh, you're now an old maid because so I, I was invited to speak, and it's funny because I said this, and the person who invited me, she came over to after, she's like, yeah, that was me. A person invited me to come speak for older singles. 
So I said, how old is older singles? So, so she said, 22 and up. Oh. Uh, 22? I said, that's crazy. Meaning a girl hits 22, she feels yeah. old. Like you're at like an old age center for, for girls. So that, I, I, I agree 100%. Meaning there definitely is a stigma. There's, there's definitely an issue that girls have a pressure to get married. But what I would argue is that I think that the idea of people getting married young, like I said, at your earliest readiness, that's when I think people should be going ahead with it because it allows you to forge a relationship so strong. Listen, some of you here know I got engaged on my third date. It's, it's, it was very fast, very fast. Don't try it at home. But by, but by me, Baruch Hashem, I have an incredible wife. We went out three times. We got engaged on our third date, Monday, Thursday, Sunday. That was our three dates that we went out. And and one of the things I was 21 years old. My wife was 19 years old. You were younger, weren't you? I'm not saying anything. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Okay. I was definitely younger. My wife was way younger than you. Okay. So right. But one of the things that we that we discussed during those three dates, during that those those three dates was was that life is a very long journey, and we are going to take every single step together. We're not. We don't have everything figured out. I had dated somebody who, when we sat down on the date, she goes, what degrees do you have and where are you going to be in five years? So now she had 8,000 questions, and I was like, I don't know any of these answers. Like, I have no idea. But with my wife, our discussion was, we are going to take one step in this journey of life together every single day. And I think that that's really, I forget, I don't know your name, Miss in the... Sorry. Yeah, what you had asked before, and I think that this really is the supplement to what Rabbi Wallace was saying, and that is that... Life is a journey of two people going side by side. So if I'm, if, I have, if I'm two steps ahead of you and we're going on a 100-mile hike, I'll never see you, right? So the idea, it's, it's, it, it, it is a metaphor. You have to be side by side. You have to be going at the same pace. You have to be going, doing things together. And Kesher, connection with your spouse, ultimately is going to be your marriage, is going to be your relationship. Having awesome meetings is going to really help that develop. So I think that... To answer your question, that being married young is not the worst thing in the world for most people. But when it needs, when when there's a reason not to do that, then I'm I'm the first person to tell people absolutely don't get married. I have couples in my house every night. I have couples in my house. I have one session every night, and I tell many couples that are dating. I say to them like, don't get married. They're like, what do you mean? But I'm I'm 31 and she's 29. What are we waiting for? I don't know, but. <laughs> Not this. <laughs> this is not... <laughs> because you're saying they're not communicating? Yeah, th- it's not just communication. You're not... This is not happening. This is not happening. How many weddings have we been at that we're dancing and we're thinking like, there is a time clock on this? I posted in my chat. <laughs> 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 right? Like, this, this is not... So what, what do we wait? Oh, I'm 31. It's not like, ding, like, you know, chicken's done. Now it's time to get married. Like... Every person is unique, but for many people, getting married at, a, at the earliest, readiest stage, I think that that's when people should be, should be, should be tying the knot. I, I agree. I, I, I hear that. I think that as a system, I'm yeah. using that word system because we tend to follow that a lot. I think, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a good thing, but it just is what it is. I think the system needs to make sure that they have an achrayas to not just put the kids through the system and then hand it off at that stage where they're supposed to get married, they, they have an achrayas, the system has an achrayas to make sure they're at, the, they're at the point where they're ready for it. Otherwise, the repercussions down the line, everybody suffers. Right. What but, do you think is not ready? 
you, we keep saying ready, not ready, ready, not ready. So it's funny you ask because I was going to mm-hmm. ask you that when you say ready. ready. There's emotional <laughs> ready. There's yeah. there's uh, maturity ready. There's financially ready. I think what we've been talking about here is the emotional ready. ready. Yeah. I think the maturity is probably. Um, I think you know an 18 year old today is probably not as mature as an 18 year old for 40 years ago. Um, but that being said, I do agree mm-hmm. that earlier than later is allowing the growing together molding uh, concept um, but who am I? You, said you have the best marriage in America. That too. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's move on to anybody have any yeah, um, there were some hands up yeah. That you only have like three dates, right? Yeah. So I was just talking with my friend, and she was saying that she's dating this guy, and she's like, she wants to date for long enough that she gets to see him like on his days when he's angry or upset, right? When he makes a mistake. Right. So like with three dates, it's impossible that you're gonna see that, right? Right. So like, do you agree <laughs> with like date someone long enough until they're like taking off all their life? Oh, they're late. So nice no. I, I, yeah. You're not going to see it during your dating. He's opening the door for you. Right. Because <laughs> you have the best marriage in America. <laughs> He's opening other doors. But it's a valid question. Yeah. Right. No, so, so I, how do you do it? I, so okay, so I want to tell you like this. Three I, dates, tell them that three dates is not typical. Right, three <laughs> dates is not typical. But I will tell you like this, that when you're going out with somebody to uncover things about a person, who a person truly is, you 99% of the time will not discover that on a date. You will discover that through friends and asking and all of that. So don't rely on you going out for three months and then realizing like, oh, hey, you know, I, 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 boom, I got him. He once got angry. That's not what's going to happen. You'll know if this guy's an angry guy because you'll do research, and that's how it's going to really come to light anyways. So I'm not, I don't think that, I think that if you date smart, meaning you're, you're dating emotionally, you're discussing things that really will pertain to your marriage, and you know this guy has a great record. Like somebody told me before I, I, I went out with my wife, they said, when you ask about your spouse, the person shouldn't start talking. They should go, wow. Like they, you should hear that, like, wow, wow, or wow, I hear this shit up. Like, you should hear something, like, popping if you're excited to marry this person. Going out with somebody and being like, I'm just waiting for them to fall, and, like, we've just dated for six months and nothing happened, you're probably not dating right. You're dating just looking for the negative rather than discussing things that actually pertain to what your life is going to be set up to be. So I hear where your friend's coming from, but she's probably... And if you, date, if you date long enough and you like him... Then even when he does something wrong, you'll be like, ah, that only happened once. You, you'll find an excuse. You'll be like, ah, that only happened once. That's not really who he is. Right. If you really yeah, like him, exactly. you'll, you'll fall into the relationship right. with, the, with the wrong mindset and how it's supposed to be. 100%. So can I say something in reference to this? Sure. And I could be wrong. Just tell me if I'm wrong. It's, it's not the, thought, my friend. The thought process. No. It's the old my friend thing. Okay. <laughs> but I think I could be wrong. Maybe. But I think also like a lot of what the the girls who are dating now are thinking of is that they're seeing the rates of divorce yeah. because they are exponential. It's alarming, yeah. And it's like, yeah, extremely alarming. And all they're thinking of is, oh my gosh, like my friend didn't really know the guy. Right. So, and then she was married to him for, you know, 10 years and now they're divorced because she didn't really know him. Right. So well, the mindset it, has become like, let me find those things that are wrong so that doesn't happen to Yeah, me. but she can't date him for 10 years. But look, it happened to her. It took her 10 years. Look what she found out. Well, she ignored it for the first six years. 
because the, yeah, but it doesn't work. You know, like, right? No, I no, hear that sentence. But I think that that's a lot of why girls get into this. In that mindset, yeah. I don't let my girls that I deal with get right. engaged till ten dates. Right. You got to do ten dates. Right. Don't don't come. To, you know, we can talk six, seventh date, but until you go out ten times with them, that was that's my number for right. my kids also. Right. Ten dates. What is the difference between the ten and the nine and eleven and ten? That's just a number that. Right. No, it's 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 it, you got to figure two dates a week. So two dates a week, ten dates. It's five weeks. At least five weeks, you know. At least you have to have that amount. But I, I did even less than him, so <laughs> it wasn't on the third date. I asked her how many kids she wants to have on the first date. She said, "Are you are you asking? Are you proposing?" Well, I don't know what. So, but we were kids. So again, it's it's mazel. It's mazel because I was much young. I was much younger than you. It's 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 mazel. It's just it could, it could go wrong. It could go right. But then again. And I'm not saying I'm not saying I have great midos. No, 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 no. All my friends get married much later. It, it was just I met her, whatever, whatever. But again, you have to. It, it's it's a work. You have to work. And a, per, a bal midos is a person who works. Who's not? It's not about him. It's not about her. It's 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 commitment. Also, it's a big word. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, how often do you find that you meet young couples that come to you that they got married so young and then they grew apart? Very rarely. Totally different Very rarely. Really? Yes, really? very rarely. First of all, that can happen at any age, right? Yeah. Right. People are always growing, they're always... Very, very rarely. It, it, a couple, the couple that grows apart is just a couple that just hasn't worked on their relationship. I always say that, like, the male-female interaction is, is so unnatural. Like, it's just so unnatural. Men and women are very, very different. So unless you're actively working on securing your relationship... It's not going to be there. I very rarely find a couple that get married. How, how thought through is your hashkafa when you're 20, 21 years old versus when you're 30, 31, right? So you're 20, 21, you get married. Like, let me ask you about, like, you know, I don't know. But if we're willing to figure this out together, we're going to be rock solid in 10 years from now. Whereas you wake up when you're 30, 31, you get engaged then. Now you've thought everything through. Now cracking that and becoming compatible with somebody is a challenge. So I, I very... I agree with you that the benefits of marrying up, but a lot of the time when you see divorce, they, the parents seem like they're on very different so What do you mean the parents? Like when parents get divorced, they are living very different lifestyles. Yeah, because they'll wake up 20 years later and realize like, oh wow, look at, that, look at us, we don't have a good marriage. A lot of people... Can I, can I add to that though? Yeah. They may be different, and again, I'm... You I'm have a professional. The, you have a greatest marriage. I'm thinking, yeah, from, speaking from experience, <laughs> you can have a, a, a man and a woman who are different hashkafa, but what you were talking about, the midos, I don't, it, it, let, me, let me start with this. Could you have a couple who are different hashkafas yet still have a beautiful marriage? I, I, have, I, I have people that the husband's right. not Shemesh Shabbos. And the wife is Shemesh Shabbos, and they have the most the crazy way. So why, she, why he doesn't that? even keep Shabbos, but she so keeps Shabbos. And he loves her, and he's a Balmido, so he lets her keep Shabbos. Why does she stay with him? She, they're married 40 years, whatever it is, and she decided to become a Balmido, whatever it is, but he's still a great husband. And he says, you want to keep Shabbos, keep Shabbos. But Kai, Kai, Kai I want to clarify is one that, thing. That, does that help? Is that no, help? I, want to, I, want to, I want to take this answer to another level. Okay, I want to explain something. Okay, Kai, let me ask like this. What, what is... The opposite of a good marriage. A bad marriage, right? What is the definition of a good marriage? The definition of a good marriage is, it, it's a Pasuk. Pasuk says, You should cling, you should become one, you should be connected. 
connected is a good marriage. Disconnected is a bad marriage. A bad marriage is not that you threw toaster ovens at each other. A, a bad marriage is you lived in the same house. I'll give you an example. It's the same Pasuk, by the way. It says, V'dav kabah, you should connect to Hashem. What is a good Shemana Esrei? You've connected to the words, you've thought them through, you, you therefore had a meaningful davening. The opposite is not that I walk into shul and I throw a toaster oven at, at the ceiling. Is that I walk into shul, I go, I'm thinking about 9,000 different things, and I walk out of shul. That is a bad Shemana Esrei. You understand? So it's not that I walk in and I have to throw something at somebody. It's that I disconnected from it. And most people don't think about it like that, but you could have a lot of people that are very, very nice, living, coexisting lives, and then they wake up one day and they're married 20 years, and they go, oh, yeah, but I don't really know you. I didn't really build something with you. Right. You, you are you, and I am me, and where we were 20 years ago, we got married too young, so the system must be broken. And it's not what it is. The system is an awesome system. Just you checked out for 20 years. They checked out for 20 years. You lived very nicely in the same house for 20 years. But you don't actually have a good marriage. I would say, in my estimation, that is the number one marriage problem. That people are coexisting too well for too long. And then they we used to be, you, the average life expectancy was like 60 years old. So when you woke up at 50 and you realize this out, you're like, <laughs> Today, your life is something like 99. You're like, eh, I got a long time you also, to go. You also ate, you ate, you ate breakfast. You ate breakfast together. You ate dinner together. That whole family, that whole thing is out it's the door. Done, right. A husband and wife never had supper separately. She's eating at 6. He comes home at 9. She's, it's a pizza. It's this, it's that. There was no such thing. It was family. Everyone sat at the table. It was family. But I, just what you're saying about Davak, about being one, the most famous thing about marriage was, uh, was Rabbi Levine and... He came with his wife to the doctor, and the doctor said, why are you here? And he said, our foot hurts. Mm. It's a very famous saying, our foot, because Davak, they were one. It's not her foot hurts, our foot hurts. Yeah, yeah she's, her hand's up into the beginning of the share. She's trying to ask <laughs> um, So I have two questions that kind of build on each other. Um, going back to what we said in regards to if you date smart um, where can people who start dating young, or even not young, whatever, where, how do they know the proper questions to ask? Okay, so I don't want to, I don't want to, okay, I, I have a whole seminar that I give. It's like a four-hour seminar. I have it on, I have it on. <laughs> okay, um, I have, it's a website, it's called marriageproco and I have over there something called Date Like a Pro, and it's a long seminar. I've done this in many communities across America. Um, I put, a, put it online for those who want to see it online, and the idea is, is that there are many questions and many layers to dating and if you're willing to spend the time to really learn it and understand it, then you'll, you have, I believe you have a very good chance of walking into a date smarter. The, the thing that kills me is when I talk to people who dated, let's say, 10 times, and they say the same thing. They go, I dated 10 times, but I, I, I still nothing. I don't feel anything. I'm waiting for like the fire, you know, fireworks and all that to go off. And then I start talking to them. I realize, like, no, you hung out. You coexisted perfectly for 10 dates. And you want to know why is nothing happening? It's like we coexisted perfectly for ten years, and why didn't our marriage happen? Because you didn't build a marriage, so you didn't build a date, you didn't have anything, so therefore it didn't happen. But once you start dating smart, and a lot of it has to do with hashkafa, has to do with emotions, has to do with your history. If you really go into it, then you don't come out and go like, I don't know how we got here, but like we're literally just spinning our wheels for months and months and months. I don't know if we should get engaged, not not get engaged. If you do it right, do it in three dates, man. <laughs> Joke. Don't don't try it. <laughs> Um, there's always going to be something that is going to be, I don't want to say negative, but like, 
something to think about, I guess, for both parties. Um, how do you make the decision of what to outweigh when? Uh, that's a very good question. You want to weigh in on this? You can weigh in first. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So this, this question is probably the one of the hardest questions when it comes to dating. So you're going out with somebody and you see a flag. The question is, what, what is that flag? Is that flag just something like FYI, like you should just be aware this person has this? Is it like a real warning thing or is this like this is game over? So, okay, so when it comes to, let's say, a religion thing, you have to realize that having flexibility of mind, like two people who are flexible, is one of the biggest, it's a bit, one of the biggest keys to, a, to an, a marriage. When it comes to religion, religion is a value, different values tend to conflict, and values by definition are not very flexible. So those kinds of things will usually drive a strong wedge between a couple. So you might have a couple that they, everything's good, but he, he doesn't learn, for example, or he doesn't die, he doesn't put on tefillin, whatever the case may be. That will irk her every single day. Now, if they're in a no, relationship... That's not something you can... Right, you, therefore you can't be... You, that's, that's, that's a major flag which will probably end the relationship. However, there are certain cases, like Rabbi has, where a couple are married 40 years, no, she keeps Shabbos and he doesn't, because they've worked it into their... They've sewn it into the fabric she, of their she, relationship. She didn't go in that. They didn't go in that way. Right, and he's, he's willing to... I, I tell you... You want to keep Shabbos and the guy will not keep Shabbos. You should marry him? Of course no, not. it's not going to work. Of course not. Right. They got married. They were both didn't keep Shabbos. So she changed and he's not, not walking out of the marriage because of that. And, and one thing I would just say is that I think that every, every relationship, you have to ask yourself the question, can this work for me? Can I work for this? I, I always say on the Arnava Shabbaton, there's like, how many people? 2,000 people, 1,500 people, 1,800 people. It's a, a, lot, of people. It's a lot of people. A lot of girls. A lot of girls. February 28th in the Rolly. Coming up. Everybody should sign up. Yeah, right. A couple of years ago, when we were there, it's a crazy, awesome Shabbaton. And they, they're trying to get quiet in a room of a few thousand people. And nobody was being quiet. So there was one guy who jumped up on a table. And he starts screaming at the top of his lungs. I'm not going to do it. But he goes, quiet, everybody, quiet, be quiet. And everyone was just like, quiet, like half of them were just like stunned, and I turned to my wife and I go like, oh, like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe this guy's standing on a table a at a Shabbat. <laughs> I'm single. No. We made a shut up that night. No, see, he was screaming on a table, and I was like, I was embarrassed for him and for his family, and I look over at this table, and his wife is sitting down, and she's like, you know, like, awesome, great job, you got the whole place quiet. Most people would be like, I'm embarrassed. If it works for you, good for you. So a lot of times when it comes to questions, there's no arbitrary thing. How from a person is, obviously there are standards, you know, statements of standards of religion, just like there's statements of standards of everything else. But when it comes to many things, you really have to ask yourself a question, can this work for me? Is this going to irk me? Is it going to bother me? And if, and if it is a real religious thing that you're not being compatible, that likely will drive a, a wedge long term between, between a couple. Make sense? Okay. What are some of the things we can, we can maybe speak about in terms of connection when you're married? So we're now talking about the aspect of dating. And what about when you're married? So give us something maybe that... How do you strengthen... Yeah, so say so you have connections. You have to talk to one another. So but what's something that a good tool for people who are married that, that you can It's, it's communication. It's spending, it's spending time with each other. It's when you go, you're going out to eat or whatever you're doing to put your phones away. You've got to put those phones away. 
You got you to gotta hear each other and you have to hear what the other person. Also, don't talk into the, let the other person. Listen, a good marriage is, is a, good, a good communication between two people. Is they're both listeners. They both talk, but while the other person is talking, you, you, you sit there and you listen. And when you listen to someone, you're giving them credence. You're giving them cover. You're giving them respect. If someone's talking to me and I'm, every two minutes I'm talking into them, that's not, the mission says, Shiva Dvarim Begailam. There are seven things in a Gailam. And one of them is, is talking into when someone else is talking to you. And the opposite is the person that's not a girl. I mean, I think that, that, that a husband, I think we like to talk a little bit more sometimes about certain things. And we, and we don't really let our wife have an opinion in business and certain other things. And I, I think that um, my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, tells me, told me that one of the most important things for my Shalom bias is to tell my wife about Ornava and my seminary and get her involved with the girls. In fact, um, she made a shidduch. I was talking to a girl who was dating a guy and, and whatever. She was just getting cold feet. And uh, this guy's a superstar. I met him and whatever it is, we, we really liked him. And um, she was backing out. And uh, he, was, he was like, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And I'm in the car and I'm trying to talk this girl into it. I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere. She's my student. And my wife's in the car and she's like, let me talk to her. And um, within, five, within 10 minutes, she talked about one of my daughters and what she went through. And the girl got engaged last night. So, so my wife was, was part of, uh, I'll just tell you something very fast that, 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 that Rabbi Lamb told me. I think this is very important, very important for marriage, very important for everyone. So, so Rabbi Lamb was a, was a speaker in, for Onava. And um, one night he was going out many years ago to speak. And he was with the Rosh Hashiva. They were going to some yeshiva. He speaks for men also. And he, got a, he was a Muncie. He gets into the car. The Rosh Hashiva said, did you get the bracha from your wife? He said, what? Did you get the bracha for your wife? What bracha for my wife? He says, you cannot go and speak. If you don't get a bracha from your wife, you're not going to be matzliach. Go back in the house. I'll wait in the car. So he goes back into his house, and he says to his wife, can you give me the bracha? She says, what? You forgot the bench? This is a true story. So anyway, so he said, I don't know what Shiba said. So she said, she, she gave him a bracha that he should be matzliach, whatever it is. So he went into the car. He came home, and the first thing she said, how did it go? Did my bracha work? He said... I think most of them were listening to me. She says, you see, because I gave you a bracha. Had he said no, she would have said, even with my bracha, it didn't work, right? He said this story to me, this is 10 years ago, more. I, don't, I didn't come here tonight. I don't speak anywhere or do anything unless I call my wife. I'm like, Esti, I'm about to give a shir. Give me the bracha. She always says, bracha, batzacha, whatever it is. So she's home alone in her bed. I'm not there, but she's at this shir because she gave me a bracha. So she's part of my life, but until then, she's her life, I'm having my life. So when a, when a guy goes to work in the morning, he should say to his wife, I'm not going to work until you give me the bracha. And then she'd be like, i got to handle the kids today, you give me a bracha. And then the, and then the kids are like, Ta, can you give me a bracha, I should do well on my test. And Ta says, can you give me a bracha that, that I should do well in the dafyaymi. And all of a sudden, it's really totally Rabbi Lamb, the whole house is giving each other brachas. When you have a house of everyone giving each other brachas, you don't have kids off the derech, you have good marriages. You have you have cured of the aim. So what, the answer to your question is, bring your wife. I don't care if you're an accountant. I don't care what you are. He's an accountant. He can come home and say, he can say, I did some forensic stuff today. You're not going to believe what we found. Whatever it is, because otherwise she's in one place and you're in the other place. And the wife, she said, by the way, I went to PTA. By the way, I went to the kids. You know, Chaim got this on his test. And I took him to the doctor and all that. She, she should bring him into, into it also. And then you have communication. Communication. That's that's the answer. I'll tell you that. Yeah, sharing sharing each other's lives is exactly. It's such a. It's Otherwise, you're living to you living to a Exactly. Lives. 
It's such an important tool. Like couples sometimes ask, like, is it important for them to know where the other one is? They know like who their friends are and what they're doing, where they're hanging out. And I always say the answer is yes, but I'm even yavin. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like not everything has to be said. Not everything has to be shared. You have to know. Also, I'll give you an example. Like there was a guy that I was talking to, and I was telling him, you know, you should call your wife by, you know, by seder. By, you have lunch. You should call her or whatever. And finally, she's like, you stop bothering me already like stop calling me like I have to work the phone is ringing I think like the house is on fire every five minutes like it's not good either yeah you have to know like what to say and what not to say but sharing in each other's lives in a general sense is a very very good tool for two people to not wake up 20 years later and go like oh I have no idea what you do all day who you hang out with what you do what you do you know that that kind of relationship is just nobody's putting much into it it could be the nicest guy. They're just not putting in the right stuff. To be smart with you, sure. Like, 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 like yeah. if, I, if I have a bad business day or something that's very bad in business, if I'm going to tell that to my wife, she's not going to sleep all night. But I'm, I'm sleeping in 10 minutes. So, <laughs> so she's up. So she's, she's right, up right. Already. So you have to know, like, don't tell, don't, not, not, you have to know your wife. You have to know, you have to know each other. You know, why keep her up all night anyway? You're going to sleep. You don't really care. But the information is like, she's like, we're not going to have a house anymore. We're not going to have kids, money for food and, you know. They're like, ah, I don't want to sleep. No, so, women, drop it on her head and go to sleep. Very men different. Men and women connect to things very, very right. differently. Very yeah, different. Knowing what to say and what to say, 100% true. Someone said something to me really nice advice that I think also plays a role in, the, in a marriage, that the gift between like a stimulus and a response is space and how much space you make. So when your spouse does something, and you should use the gift of space to like, Calm down. Calm down, not personalize it. Right. Just like look at it for even, just take a deep breath. Just taking a deep breath can be like a gift because like then you're just, your emotions are exploding and then you're just going like this at each other. A hundred percent. I always say there's so many marriage tools. Um, there's so many marriage tools. Like one, one thing I always say is some people get onto emotional roller coasters, not always because they intend to. Some people are are just always on the roller coaster. Those are like the junkies that they just like ride the roller coaster all day, you know. But, but most of us, we're, we're <laughs> mostly, hopefully, stable, right? So you're just, you're just okay most of the time until something like hits you and you get thrown off, whatever. It might be a client that goes crazy. It could be the bus driver yelled at you. It could be anything. And then you jump onto that roller coaster and you start going. And one of the smartest things for most spouses to keep in mind is every roller coaster needs an operator, so go become that operator. Don't jump onto the roller coaster also. So a lot of times you have like a husband comes on, oh, I had the worst day ever. And he wants his wife to sit there and go, oh, it's okay. You're so capable. You're so great. And she's like, what? This is crazy. We're going to be bankrupt. And he's like, oh, no. And before he knows it, she's more emotional than him. And he's like, oh, gosh, like what, what did I just open my mouth for? Or vice versa. So keeping, making sure that every roller coaster has an operator will usually bring the other person. You could slow down the roller coaster and then you could take the person off and then you'll be okay. And it's exactly like you're saying, like with calm, like I don't need to react right now. The other person usually like, oh, you're calm? I could be calm. There's no reason for me to like, you know, blow up. There's a a mission that says, which if you learn it wrong, is very against what we're saying here tonight. It says, don't talk a lot to a woman. It's talking about your wife. Another woman. What do you mean? You're supposed to talk to your wife. What does it mean, the Mishnah? So they explain the Mishnah that don't come home, right? You're in shul, and the rabbi yelled at you because you were talking. And he embarrassed you in front of everyone. Now you come home, you tell your wife, you don't have any shul tonight? The rabbi embarrassed me in front of everyone. She's like, you're never going back to that shul. <coughs> I don't like that rabbi. You're never, we are not davening there anymore. We are not members there anymore. Meanwhile, this guy 
goes back the next morning. The rabbi's like, his arm on his shoulder. I hope I didn't embarrass you last night. This guy's back friends in two minutes. His wife will never forgive him. So he says, I'll have the don't come home and tell your wife stuff that your wife's not going to let go, and you're going to let go. Like I was talking about, she doesn't sleep, and I'm sleeping, right? So you have to you have to be smart what you what you know what you what you say to her that she shouldn't you shouldn't be hurt because she, because there's, men are very different and stuff bounces off. So a guy said something to me in shul, big deal. She's like that guy. We're done. I don't, we're not going to his bar mitzvah. We're not going to his wedding. We're not going anywhere. So you have to al tavasichem It doesn't mean you shouldn't talk to your wife, but you talk smartly. Talk smartly. Questions from the back, maybe? It's quiet back there. No? In my class, whoever sits in the back the first day, I put them in the front. Because <laughs> yeah, they're trying to hide. <laughs> um, curious, I'm just kind of uh, thinking off the cuff over here. When it comes to dating and, and uh, you know, for the right purposes, are there traits for guys and for girls that you would... Um, that you typically look for as being very important in making a connection and and vice versa that you find guys have or girls have that are presenting the most problems in, in, in uh, a connection? Well, that's a big question. That's a big question, yeah. You know, like, I don't know, I'm just going to completely make something up, but yeah. if you find that I don't know, guys tend to come into the shit-up world with a focus on material needs, you know, I'm just kind of throwing it out there, but is there a common denominator, I or, think, not common, because you see where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that there are a couple of, of core issues that seem to be redundant in many, many marriages. I think what you're alluding to is that a lot of people have... Yeah, it's a very powerful. I think that I think that it's a pe- big difference for sure between guys and girls. Yeah, no, but we're saying like a, a like a specific trait that makes the marriage work or makes a relationship well, saying, work. This girl, well, if she's your daughter, you're saying when you go out with them, watch out for. Like, words, are guys more selfish? Are they more physical? Are they or are girls more emotional? Like guys are definitely looking much more for a trophy than girls are. Girls are not looking to walk around with a trophy. A guy wants to walk into the room and everyone's like, oh my God, he got a gorgeous girl. Right? A lot of guys are like Some that. Guys, yeah. Girls are not like that. Really. Right. They want a nice guy, maybe a rich guy, maybe a guy that's doing very well. Right? A guy who's poised. But guys, we're more trophy. Our car is a trophy. We want a very nice car. Our house is a trophy. The way we dress, right? We, it's, it's representation of who we are. A, a, a girl, her husband's not a representation of who she is. But a guy is more, we're more into the trophy look. The, 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 we're more. We're definitely more balgaibers, more big shots than girls are. That's for sure. It's a guy. One of the, one of the things that guys struggle with is is gaiva, and kas. You'll find a lot more guys that lose their temper than girls that lose their temper. A lot more. Right. So these are all things that guys have. You know, have different different than girls. Girls are also. I don't know why guys are ready to get married because you're saying on the third day, the guys that I'm dealing with on the and the girls run girls. There's a game you have to play when you date, and the girl can't be sure you like her. You can't tell her on the second date, I love you, I want to marry you, I want to have children with you, I want to live with you. She runs for the hills the minute you say that. you got to play, maybe, I don't know, I'm not sure. But guys are ready, second date. I love I, right, Wilson, I, that's it, she, she's it. And the girl needs, like, 
I need time. We need to go out. I'm not sure. It's, it's such a different sense. It's a very different sense. I would say, I'm not sure if this is directly addressing your question. I would say that what a, what a girl should look for in a guy is a guy, let me say it like this. What a girl should look for in a guy is a guy who is able and willing to step out of himself and connect to her. Because that's a very unnatural thing for a guy. Most guys, they, they, yeah, they come home, where's my food? They're not interested in telling me about your day and the meaning of life. Like, they're not interested in that. They want to, like, come home and just, like, tune out from the world, go to a dark room for four hours, and then come out and be like, hey, how are you? You know, like, and now... I need, and I need to really, I need yeah, rest. Now I'm ready to face you. You know, it's like 11 o'clock at night. Right? So it's fine. Wind down. We have to wind down. Right. Wind down. So finding a guy who's able to step out of himself is, is a very big plus, meaning that should be the thing that you should be looking for. The opposite with a girl, meaning because women tend to, to connect to things emotionally, a girl's avida in marriage, like her, her challenge may be to be emotionally stable, to have that stability, so that when things do challenge you, you're not like... like make him feel you know, that, we have to make him feel that he's special and he's great. Guys need that. And, and no, they need, we need that. That's who we are. That's who we are. And, and you, you know, you got, you got it. They don't realize they need compliments. Men need compliments. need compliments. Absolutely. Women well, think, women oh, they don't compliment. need compliments. They both do, but, but, yeah. but, but men are not known to need compliments. So people think, why, why should tell them that he smells good, he looks good, he's, he's smart, he did good in business. My husband knows that. And, and it's not true. Guy, no, guys need, the because they get that from their mother. Because, because our first relationship is with, with a female in our lives is our mother. And our mother, our father doesn't compliment us. Our mother is the one who compliments us. So now, I, and it comes out, I'm sure you get this, like, how come you never, you never said this about me? My mother used to always say this about me. Yeah. You know, that I was ready to this. How come you, and then the, no, girl, no, the woman true. says, like, oh, we're going back to your mother now. Now it's the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. And the whole thing blows up in their face. But a guy who's brought up, right, like you're used to coming to the table and your mother's putting down dinner. You're used to, your mother's taking care of you. So you think your wife has to take care of you. It's just, it's just your first relation with a female. And, and therefore you're zoned in on that. that you're, that's your expectation. So, yeah, the, the, the wife has to be a little bit of a mother. Yeah. Yeah, not not no, a, not in a mashkiach in the affectionate way. way, right? Not a mashkiach. She doesn't need a mashkiach, and she doesn't need a rev. You know what I'm saying? She doesn't yeah. need that, but in an affectionate way. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Right, hundred percent. Your mother gives you hugs. Your mother gives you compliments, and you get married to this woman who's a, a female, and you're not getting hugs, and you're not getting compliments, and the marriage begins to, and and you're like, but well, he's a guy. He doesn't need that. Now, you know, I need a hug. He doesn't need a hug. No, you had a, you had a hug till he was at the chuppah. He had a hug. He had a hug going to the chuppah. He had a hug at his bar mitzvah. He's still getting hugs from his mother. I go every morning. I live with my brother in, in my mother's apartment. I learn, right. There's not one morning I come. I come. I learn at nine o'clock. There's not one morning that I come to there and there's not two boxes of Cheerios, a bottle of water. And after the, I eat the two little boxes of Cheerios, she's like, "You want another one? Can I get you another cold water?" My mother's can I in her eighties, whatever it is. It didn't change. It didn't change. You have that, and that's your first female relationship in your life. So you, you need to get that. You need to get, a woman needs to give her husband compliment. And of course, it's the other way around. A father who speaks to his daughter, and that's her first male relationship, is my daughter's the best, to us, our daughter's the best thing in the world, the prettiest girl in the world, the smartest girl in the world. She's daddy's girl. So now I need to be my husband's girl. This is all 
uh, we don't have time to do it. It's, it's, it happens to be a little psychology. It's called the plus syndrome, where, where you're, when, you, when you're young, everything is vertical. Everyone is above you. Your parents, God, your teachers are above you. But then that's, that's this line. But the line that makes it a plus is as you grow up, you're, you become horizontal. Your relationships, you have friends. You start with your friends. And then it's the husband and the wife. And then the ultimate relationship is you come on top and your kids are beneath you. And that's called the plus relationship. So you, you, you're programmed that your mommy was always there for you, telling you how great you are and how this you are and how that you are. And your daddy gave you unconditional love. And now you, you marry this male who's the second male in your life. And you have those expectations. And if they're not, if they're not met, sometimes you're drawn away from your husband, away from your wife, towards your parents, which causes all types of problems in your marriage because why your mother and, you, you know, you're saying you love you to your mother. You don't say, every, every time I hear you talk to your mother, you talk very differently than the way you talk to me. So that's very, very important in, 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 in relationships. I think this all goes back to communication, to express to one or the other that this is what you need. Like, we're not mind readers in the big picture of life. But it's more if than you have that. To say, if you have to say yeah, it, then, then you're doing me a favor. Yeah. No, then, I'm doing, then you're doing me a favor. Right. Women know this more If you than say that, it's a favor. I shouldn't have to tell my wife I need a hug. Once I tell her, but once I tell her I need a hug, then she's only hugging me because I told her. It's very different. Maybe right. There is a core. No, so there is a core thing here that if, my if, wife never asked me for a coffee in the morning, because she says if I have to ask you for a coffee in the morning, then you're doing me a favor. If you bring me a coffee in the morning automatically, that means you love me. If I have to ask you for something, it's a whole different level. Married, you, 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 Okay, you have to do it once. That's yeah. it. You have to do it once. But, 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 but marriage, is, marriage should, should be very, very proactive. Right. It men, has to be proactive. both have emotional needs that need to be filled by their spouses, right? They're very, very different. Well, men, men are not usually intuitive. Like, I mean, I don't want to go and say it. Other men. Men are not ladies. Other men. They do need to be told, like, once. Once. Or twice. No. If, if, a, if a, I would argue that if, if exactly what I'm saying is that if a woman or a man, if they have to ask for something. Every day, can you get me yeah. a coffee? Right. You're going to stop asking. Then you're in a Dunkin' Donuts. It's not your wife. You're not in a marriage. You're in a Dunkin' Donuts. Can you get me a coffee? Same thing. 100%. Like, but if, if that's missing, meaning if a person can't intuitively know that, it's so hard to even have to tell you that. You know that's only if you're in pain, but my daughter doesn't have to ask me. When she comes to my house, she doesn't say, talk, can you give me a hug? Of course, if there's something wrong, she would ask me that. But I, if she comes to my house, I give her a hug. It's my daughter. So it's my wife, Manshtana. She has to, to ask me. Does somebody have to say to their spouse, like, go give our kid a hug? You should, like, right. you should feel that. If that's not there, then you have to ask be, me already. it should be like, learn this, learn this, because this is like the most important part of your relationship right, right now. I think that before you have had that opportunity to, like you're saying, when you date and date part, it's like, don't just discuss nothingness. I'm not saying on your first date you should be like, I like hugs. <laughs> you don't have to say that. Well, don't say that on your first date. Yeah, no, we'll like give you a shaman and gear shared next week, next but, time we come back. But, <laughs> basically, you, you want to make that effort to get to like more of the deeper things, like you were saying, yeah. then you'll have that foundation. But you should be looking for this trait from the beginning. Uh, what Rabbi is saying is, is that that emotional health... I'll give you an example. The word is anticipate. When, when, I, get, when I give like... I a, have to anticipate my wife's needs. Otherwise, it's a favor. Otherwise, it's a favor. No, no, no. If I don't anticipate... 
I want to tell you something. I, 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 Can you please hang up my code or give me a code? I'll hang it up. Isn't there a difference in that relationship? Yeah, but I want to tell you something. No, I want to give you an example. I want to give you an example. Somebody passed up two drinks. One second. Somebody passed up two drinks, right? I didn't have to ask for it, right? Because somebody was proactively thinking, how do I give to the other person? I think that... I want to tell you... I'll tell you... Okay, so that was the test for Yitzchak and Rivka. Did she anticipate that him and his camels needed water? That was her whole test. That was her whole test to me, though. It shouldn't change. No, it's not already, right? I always, one second. I always say... You have to train the inclusivity. Anticipation. And to anticipate. So I, one second. I don't think you can train that. I always tell couples... Someone who anticipates, anticipates everything. And someone who doesn't anticipate, you can't every single time... Don't get scared. Don't get scared. No, that's it. We're talking... We're talking the ultimate marriage right now. We're on the... We're talking about number 10. Okay. I think that there are two... I think that there are two levels to a relationship. There are people... There are, there are, let me say it like this. I think that there are people... I think that there are people... We need somebody to get on the table and Okay. Let's finish the... Did you finish the thread that you were having? Okay, let me jump in like this. I'll tell you like this. I think that there are two levels. There are two levels to this. There are multi-levels, but let's call it two. One is where you make your spouse happy, and the other one is where you seek your spouse's happiness. So making, like, making your spouse happy is you know your, your spouse says, can you get me a coffee? Yes, make your coffee. You made your spouse happy. Seeking your spouse's happiness is on a different playing field, and that's what should be strived for. So yes, I agree with you. If it's not there, then you should just make your spouse happy. And that's good. But you should be striving to seek your spouse's happiness. And that's on a totally different level. If a husband comes into the house and his wife says, can you get something? And he gets it. She's like, wow, thank you. You made me happy. If a guy walks into the house, right? If a guy walks into the house and he says, by the way, I was passing my thing and I was thinking, what can I get you? And I got you whatever. It's 25 cents. Like mind blown, right? That's a different... What do you say, Zowers? Flowers. Flowers. Flowers or Zowers. Whatever's your jazz. Flowers for rose. Yes. But on a level. Yeah, it should, it should get to the level where there's a proactive, like I said, you get up in the morning and you say, what does my spouse need from me? This is where it's tough because if you think the answer is whatever they say, that's what I'll give them. Mm-mm. You're not there. You understand? You're not there. And there is, there is a madrigi here. There is a level to strive for. And I think that's why every relationship, even the world's greatest marriage, can attest that you have to still get up every day and do this every single day because people. A hundred percent. It can't be one. It's it depends. It depends. But but yes, there is this. If you if you are seeking your spouse's happiness, they will be really really happy. And if they're doing the same thing for you, you'll be really happy. If you're just making each other happy, when when the other one says fire and you put it out, it's a nice. It's nice. But it's definitely at a lower level than being proactive. We're talking about the ultimate right now. Yes. There's definitely a level here. 
So how do you handle a situation like that? Like, you know, you always think about your wife's happiness and she's not, you know, you feel like you're doing more for her than she's You feel like you're welcome. You feel like you're a mat. Someone, she's stepping on you the whole time. We've talked about this, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> sometimes. You're not, you're not always at the same yeah. place at the same time. And you're not always going to be doing this equally for each other. It's not possible. You gotta let go. What? You gotta let go. You gotta let go. You can't. You can't all the time be judging your the, the spouse, right, and, right. and and when someone does something wrong, you have to let go. You have to forgive. You have to let go. You, it's part that part of the midos. That midos. The word midos is also forgiving and letting go of things. It's all. That's all part of it. Yes. You're no one's gonna be. I'm not the perfect husband. He happens to be the perfect husband, but I'm not the perfect husband, and I make mistakes. Look who you signed up for tonight. Part of, oh, <laughs> part of that. Part of that is is yeah. My wife sometimes. I do things that are not correct, and she has to let go. And sometimes she might do something. No, but it's more of making ha- making your spouse happy. It's not. It's not. I don't. I don't think it's possible to be equal all the time. Sometimes you yeah. know the, the husband is doing a great job for a week, and then he slacks, and then the wife says it's a great job yeah. the next week. Great. You're never on the We're same human. It's like Dominic Schmanesre. Some weeks you have a great Schmanesre, and then the and next week you get distracted. Right, hundred percent. One of them feels like I'm doing so much for you, and the other one feels right. You got to rev it back up. That's exactly the point. I, I, I'm a big believer that in our lives we should always have that next level right there in front of us, so we know what it is. Like if you're playing a video game, the worst level is the last level. Nothing to look forward to, right? It's like game over. Right? So, yeah, if you've gotten to a certain point, celebrate what you have and now move forward. Same thing in business, right? You celebrate what you have. You go, okay, great, everybody. Okay, now get back to work. Now what's the next thing? You hit that next plateau. Great. Okay, now what's the next one? You celebrate it and then you move on. It's like that with everything in life. When it comes to marriages, though, I think a lot of couples just set the bar so low so that they could celebrate. They're like, woo, I asked him for something and he didn't get angry at me. Like, woo, we are doing well. You know, and it's like so sad. Set that bar so you know, like, yes, this is the ultimate, and we got to get there, and we're going to strive to get there. And even if we're not there, at least we're here. At least we're there. You have to get to the we first. You have to both be wanting to strive for that. 100%. Yes. But I think that that, just to touch on what Esther was saying, is that's where the communication part, I think, I think comes in. Yeah. When you feel like the other one is slacking, feel like... Hey, listen, I've been, like, doing all this all week, guys. Whatever, like, I think it's okay nothing to say that. that. Yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with that. that. That's, I, that's what I'm talking about, the communication part of not feeling like... I don't feel good today. I can't do it. Right. And say, like, oh, you that's know what? I just had a bad day. I need a hug. Right. A hundred percent. Because Migos will be like, you're right. And someone who's not doing it, I think that's Right. No, but I'm saying the communication part. The person who's receiving it, yes, should be like, yes, I get that. Come, let me give you a hug. You don't have to necessarily ask for it, but they just want to give it because they know that you're in a bad place. hundred percent. Just receive it would would be that, and that's the communication part. Yeah, I I want to throw in one thing on this topic. I think that's just a little important. Communication. I, I always say that marriages don't speak English. What I mean to say is they, there's, there's an emotional feel to things. Like I'm a forensic accountant, right? So part of a forensic accounting is two people are having a dispute. So they come to a forensic account and they say, how much does this guy owe me? And you, you, you give, I give like an opinion on whatever the case may be. Now you could be called to court and they'll say to you, tell us the story. And what they tell you, what they teach you is that when you're sitting on a stand, the jury and the judge, and, all, and they're not listening to everything you're saying. They're not. They, they can't process all your words, and they're not so technical. But they're looking at you, and they're thinking, like, do I trust this guy? Like, do I believe this guy? Is he, like, a good guy? And if they get the feeling that you are, then, you then what did you say? How much was the damages? $4 million? Okay, it's $4 million. 
Did they have half the things going on? No, they, they didn't even understand half the issues. But they, they go with it. And when it comes to relationships, there's a vibe between a couple. So I could communicate to you. I could, I could say to you, very clear, I want to tell you something. You should just know you're the worst spouse. And what I need from you is something different than you're giving me. And go sulk a little bit. And I'm going to be upset at you. And I'll speak to you tomorrow morning. Bam. I just communicate. I'm a great communicator. But my marriage is going to tank really fast. So what, what I, my point is, is that marriages don't speak English. And if you want to communicate something to your spouse, you want to really navigate the emotions to a place where it will automatically open up for the other person to give you. And that is so important. I mean, if you want a hug from your spouse, you could say, listen, here's what you need to know, right? Or you could walk over, right? And, and you could just, you could put your arm around your spouse and you're like, hey, what's, up? what's going on? How are you? Come here. You can make things happen without saying one word. Yeah. And, and it's moving that emotional, uh, the emotional conversation is more important than the words that you're saying. Chemistry. And it's, it's, an, it's an art form. It's something that you, it takes skill to be able to do. So when, when couples talk to me about communication, I don't think it's always about the words. I think it's a lot more about the overall picture. Your husband knows that you're not interested in him, in him when you roll your eyes. He goes in and he goes, oh, right? You didn't say, I didn't say anything. You didn't. You just said a lot. You just said a lot. And that, he's going to feel that for a long time. So the, the little, like navigating the relationship, the emotional needle moving that, I think is one of the most important skills that people have to master. And it's, it, people talk about communication. That's why I always say, I don't think communication is the biggest issue in marriage. Because like, people communicate a lot more than they communicate. They say nasty things sometimes. So, yeah, you, but they communicate even more. They, they don't. I don't have to say I don't like you for you to know I don't like you. Love you, Rabbi. I've got a question. So I think it's amazing. Yeah. It's about the communication involving various types of communication, right? Yeah. Ideally, a couple is not learning that or first getting that skill uh, five years into a marriage, right? Oh, I hope not. Yeah. Um, what could boys and like where would that be developed where would um somebody let's say guys aren't that great at emotional intelligence or where would that be developed how would it be developed i think like i was saying it, it happens from from birth meaning you see it in your house if you don't then hopefully you get yourself good marriage role models that you're able to witness it and see it you, you i once heard a story rechaim shmulevit said he said you know how i became rechaim shmulevit so obviously he wasn't bragging he says i became rechaim shmulevit by watching Rabbi Yeruchim Levavitz eat soup. Now that sounds like a very funny statement. The way he ate soup inspired me to become who I became. You see, it's not about all the schmoozing and all everything. You watch a couple interact by a Shabbos table, you learn a lot from them. And I always tell like seminary students or whoever it is, like if you feel like your home was not the place that you want like, to be your role model for your marriage, go find a different one. Go find a friend, a teacher, a sister, a sibling, whoever it is, that you're able to like, sit there and like, observe. Just watch. Watch them talk to each other. Watch how they deal with the kids. You'll learn so much more. Somebody can tell you you have to kiss your children, but there's a difference between saying that and watching a father like, you know, give his kids a bracha and then give them a kiss. That, that you just learned volumes by one Shabbos meal more than any book that you'll ever read. So I think that it is learned by observing and watching and studying and that as a parent, right, with children, it's, with, there's a consciousness here. You're educating. You, your marriage is the first marriage that your children will see, right? It's the, it's, the, it's the primary example that they will have for how to build a marriage. That's a lot of responsibility. Don't, don't ever forget that, 
Like your marriage is, is where your children will learn how to be married. They will learn that like a mother kisses her daughter, a father kisses his kids. Like, I love you. You're, you're, you're my kids. You know what I'm saying? You can't teach that. I, I, I teach people during chasen classes and my wife teaches during college classes. A lot of times we're like, how in the world are we supposed to fix 22 years in eight hours? Of dysfunction. It's impossible. And the mothers call up and they go like, why is my daughter still selfish? Like, because you raised a selfish brat. So that's why she's selfish. That, you know what I'm saying? You can't fix this. This is not, we can't fix it like this. So sometimes they have an awareness and they go, we, you know, she didn't see such healthy things. Please, you know, spend more time. But that, where you can learn it, and it's not the yeshiva system. It's not. It's it, it's the home. The don't home is going to be the biggest. Don't blame place. yeshiva for marriage. They get blamed for a lot of things, but don't blame for marriage. <laughs> I wasn't alluding to that before, but now that you mentioned, it, <laughs> you no, know, I was. I, I only think about it when you talk about a guy who, in like, I can speak for myself. I didn't live at home from ninth grade and on. Right. right. So from ninth grade, I was living in a dorm with with. You know, Bunch no of guys. one cares Bunch about how messy room is. <laughs> no. So is that something that you see happening? All I mean, I don't know. You just raised it. So I don't think most guys. No, I don't think most. I think most guys who have good middles, like Rabbi said, they adapt very quickly. If you're intuitive, and you'll learn very quickly. Like there are guys in your dorm that made their beds, and there were guys in your dorm that didn't make their beds. Yeah, if you're right? a mensch, you know how to live with. Too far back to remember, but, but I yeah, <laughs> for sure. There was a guy who everything was clean. There was a guy who wasn't clean at I all. Was and, clean guy. I'm just saying. <laughs> No, I'm saying, but then he's going to be a husband that's going to be clean, and he's going to do the he's going to do his laundry. His wife doesn't always have to do the laundry because he did his laundry in yeshiva. His mother didn't do his laundry. It's very it depends. You're right, but a, a guy who comes out of a dorm is very different than a guy who was brought up at home. I, I agree with you on that. I think very much. That's why my father didn't let me go to a dorm. He wanted me to be home. My brother went to a dorm, and I did it. Yes. Now he wished I would. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel that there's a lot of issues, or there's an issue in the home? That it's healthy for um, you know the spouse to maybe go out and discuss it either with in-laws, friends, and you know maybe talk about the that a little bit in terms of where there's a line for certain things right. or, or should or should happen or should not happen because if you're not talking yet and you feel like to talk to someone and just your your spouse where you where are you gonna go? I think you need to talk to someone who's not nogei bedava. Who, who doesn't have an opinion because they're a father or mother or friend or all that. You need to go to a rabbi, a rebbe. Um, everyone needs to, very, you're talking about dating. If a girl goes out with a guy and says, so who's your rebbe? And he says, oh, I don't need a rebbe. I figured everything out on my own. Drop him. <laughs> Drop him. Because that guy has made a lot of mistakes. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. Everybody needs a rebbe. He has a rebbe. I have a rebbe. Every gadol has a rebbe. Everybody has a, everybody has a rebbe. If you're going to ask your friends about your marital problems... He likes your wife. He doesn't like your wife. He has an opinion because... How do you say no gay with dove in English? Biased. Biased, yeah. right. So you have to ask, go outside, a therapist or, or the rabbi or someone who has no bias whatsoever, then at least you'll get an unbiased opinion. Once you start family members, friends, it's all bias. You've got to go totally out of, your, out of that area. There's, there's somebody I know, he just married off his daughter, so he told his son-in-law... He said, if you want to ever come talk to me, you're more than welcome to come talk to me, but I'm just telling you now, you're wrong. <laughs> She's right, you're wrong, and then we can have a conversation. So the guy's like, so I won't be talking to you. He's like, exactly, exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Exactly. Don't ever call me. <laughs> even, even though it doesn't sound like kibbutz of Abe, even your parents. Because your parents are going to be biased to you, not your wife. Right. If there are issues, if there are issues that you need to, to clue them in on, then... And they won't forgive the, the spouse... 
and later on you're going to make peace, and they'll never never look at her the same way. Don't right. bring that. Don't bring it into the family. Having a good, unbiased, honest third party is is very very important. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you need, but it should be with guidance. I think it should be with guidance, like when parents get involved and and, and what their involvement is. If you both go. It's very different, but if you go to your parents and she's going to her parents, selectively, it's not going to work. Selectively. So two things. First of all, I feel like sometimes my mother-in-law helps mit- mitigate and a conversation, and in my favor, <laughs> it has happened. Yeah. Because she knows me. <laughs> and you can expand on that a little bit, and that's also what you guys are saying to have someone outside of the family, and. I would just mention that it's important to have one person and not to air laundry on yes. social media. Or no, no, like that. 100%. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. opinion makers out there. Right. That's a very good point. I think that, no, yes. Having, right. Having one point of contact that this is the mahalach that you're going with, like this is the path to fix this or to resolve this, is, is very, very, very critical. Um, it's like there's two Jews, there's three opinions, there's right. two marriage people, and there's like 19 opinions. There's different ways of looking through any, any singular issue. And there's almost never he's right, she's wrong. There's almost always like you have to understand what they meant and understand it. So having one person who's coming with like their mahalach is very important because a lot of times people are looking for validation. So they go run to their person. Well, my therapist said, you're crazy. So doesn't matter. And he's like, well, great. It's so funny because my therapist said, you're also crazy. Right? So we each have our way. And then the marriage suffers. Having one person, they're going to be able to keep the people together. At the end of the day, um, the goal of a therapist or whoever it is who's giving the counseling, their, their job is to... The goal of Shalom Bayez is to have Shalom Bayez. Right, and a lot of times not they pull you apart. They go, you're 100% right. She's nuts. And then you're like, okay, great, but that doesn't help me because I'm still married to them. I don't know. You know, like you're getting the wrong opinions. Having that one person is a great, a great, great point. Very good. A lot of people go for help and then one gets empowered and they get divorced right. instead of getting married. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's terrible. So is that, is that a general, and I just want to make sure I understand, is that a general feeling that a husband and a wife should not go to separate therapists? Is that what you If it's for therapy, meaning... Marriage therapy, right. marriage they go together. Each one, for their therapy or their stuff that they have to deal with, they go separately. The marriage therapist is outside of those two therapists. She goes to a therapist, the therapist going to let her see both. He goes right. through therapy, but the marriage therapist has to see, you have to see both of them. You yeah, can't, you you can't know, listen to you, one of them. Yeah, you know, often I, marriage counselors will say to people, oh, I think you guys need to take a break. Like, you know, you should separate for a month and see how you feel. Wait, the fifth grade recess? You, you don't separate. I'm saying you don't get a break. What, what, what type of relationship is that? I mean, and if it's a toxic environment, I had one case. Yeah, I had one case. It was funny. The, the guy was told he's like going on, a, like going on a break and he should just give a get just in case, whatever. And he's like, okay. And he's still waiting for the phone call back. Like he didn't realize that. Like he gave me, yeah, like he headed towards the exit. That was a very strategic move. But most of the time. They want to see if they're going to miss each other. Okay. They go on a break. So go for three Go days. to work. Come on. Right, go for three days. Yeah. <laughs> see if you miss each other. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Are you a fan of couples going like just. I, I don't have a problem with it. He uh, does. We don't. We don't agree on this. I'm. I'm. I'm not a big fan of it. I think. I think women have girlfriends, and I think that they're laugh. Sometimes, guys. Listen. Then you would. Then you wouldn't be. A, you wouldn't be a fan. When I got married, I played basketball three nights a week. That's you didn't go a set. For a week. I didn't go on vacation, but but I went away with my friends because my wife didn't play basketball. So my physical need of of competition, adrenaline, playing ball, wasn't something that she enjoyed. 
I can understand if my wife wants to go with her friends and giggle and have a good time and go to Florida for three days. I'm not, my marriage is secure enough that she's not saying they're better than you, Zachariah. Right. She's going to play ball. It's not ball. It's, yeah, they're going is, to, your, is your issue he's very against at it. the expense of a vacation with a couple? Right. No, 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 no. No, no. I'm not trading in. I have one vacation. I'm going with my friends. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. I don't agree with that. Okay, I, I think we live in a world that is 24-7, meaning I think that every Shabbos meal is sacred. I think that every, every walk with your kids is sacred. I think that all these things... Are, so when somebody says to me, I have three extra days to just kill... And, like, it's not going to affect you whatsoever. And I'm going to go on vacation with you, you know, this week. And next week I'll go out with my friends. If somebody has that, okay, fine. I could hear that. I could hear there being such a, a concept. Have a good fine. Marriage. But most, most marriages, their, their time together is so limited. The amount of, you know, quality time, vacation time, away from all the kids and everything. So to, to have that and then say, okay, great, I'm going with my friends. You're going with your friends because no, I have different needs. That I'm very against. I go there to throw. Every Yom Kippur, okay every Yom Kippur since I'm 13 years old, it's a three-day trip. It's a four-day trip. My wife does not go. It's three days. One of the days of Yom Kippur, it's murder. It's something that my father, that I've done my whole life. She stands on Yom Kippur in shul by herself. This is since, right? Now, you could say, what, kind of, what, what is that? Your wife's Yom Kippur by herself? And the answer is, that I need, that high, that Yom Kippur, I need that for myself. She loves me. She understands that Zechariah Wallstein needs that for himself, so she is willing to be Yom Kippur with my daughters, whatever, but being by herself. I understand sometimes that for two days, for her to let her hair down and go with her friends to Florida, right? I don't go to the pool. She can go to the pool because I don't go mix swimming. She can go to mix, and she can go. I, I love her enough to say, go, I'm going for Yom Kippur. Go with three days. Have the best time with your friends. And I am home happy that she's out to eat and she's happy with her friends. I don't, I'm not trading it in. It's, it's part of you're saying you're living together, but part of living together is living life. I, like, so, I, do I go golfing? Will I go to Casit? Will I go to Atlantic City with my friends? That's 100% wrong. I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. But guys go, guys go for three a week to Eretz to learn what is it called? Yachikala. That doesn't mean they don't love their. Doesn't mean they don't. What do you mean? It's not important to the woman what he's doing. I'm home alone for a week, and you're with your guys. And listen, Yachikala is very nice. They learn, but they go out to eat. And it's the guys. And guys like sometimes to be with the guys. And there's nothing wrong with that. Doesn't mean I don't love my wife because I want to be with the guys. I want to go play ball. Doesn't mean I don't love her. So I think if, you, if, you, if you're not secure, it's like, what are you doing? No, what, I don't. What, what? I'm not saying it from an insecurity place. I'm not, I'm not saying it from an insecurity place. I'm saying it from a place where you're, the default vacation should be, honey, where are we going away? Not, honey, um, my friends are going blah, 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 so I want to go with them. Your default, your default mindset should be to spend more time with your spouse. It's also logistically of, easier to go away with your friends than not. Yeah, of course. Holds down the fort. Right, exactly. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent against it per se, but I do think that the ideal vacation should be with your spouse. Your default vacation should be. Your and if you call your wife when you're when you're out there with the guys. She's like, so what's going on? Miserable. It's terrible. Yeah, sure. Terrible. Guys, where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> terrible. Oh, it's terrible. Because you said I'm having a blast. You said, so so on, on, on that note, yeah. this may be a bit of a loaded question. So if you want to throw it back at me, that's fine. What's your thought about Uman? The whole... Exactly. Oh. Oh. Okay. Do not ask him. Exactly. You can ask me, but do not ask him. I, I don't see the difference between Uman and me going to. I, I go to the Kaisal, that's where I believe, that's where. When? Uh, when, 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 when you're Kippur. 
First of all, like everything Rosh Hashanah. You're talking about Rosh Hashanah. Uman is a Rosh Hashanah thing for what I get. Right. Yeah. But for them, it's the Yom Kippur. No, no. It's Rosh Hashanah. Uman Rosh Hashanah. No, for the guy who's going, it's his. It's like his Yom Kippur. Okay. If you're if you're married to that guy and he goes to Uman and he comes back on a spiritual high and you love him and you're his wife, why not let him go? I, I don't. I, I, I'm just maybe because I do this for Yom Kippur. What? No, I don't go to Uman. I go to I go to the Kaisel. That's my thing. No, I have no idea what goes on there. I think they're davening. Right. I was gonna say. Right. If your wife, if we're, we're going right, and if we're going back to what makes you happy makes me happy. What we st- what we started with. No, but you you see your husband go to Uman. Coming back, he had the best time of his life. He's in a holy, whoever he is, whatever he is, should, should, should make you happy. Just like if you go away for two days with your friends, or you go shopping, whatever day, whatever it is, and you come home all lit up, it yeah. should make him happy. That's, Me, how, we, so, okay. that's how we started right. tonight. I don't disagree that's how we started with that. tonight. If, if, Uman if the wife is sending the husband to Uman, if she's driving him to the airport willingly, right. then, he, then he could go. Okay. If she's crying at home for the whole Rosh Hashanah, then he, then he should not go. If my wife said, I don't want you to go Yom Kippur, how right. can I dive into Hashem Yom Kippur? I'm wasting my time. That's for sure. Right. That's right. I don't think, I don't think my... Yeah. But that's not what it's special. He wanted a different answer. He's looking for a different I'm answer. Assuming, I'm assuming the wife is being supportive, right? Okay. Whether the husband should be going was my question, right? So she can be Between the two of them. For, now, I also want to just... Okay, I, I'm a bit biased because I have an opinion too, right? I've never been... Okay. I think I'm. Might think I've read about it. No, uh, I've seen pictures. I don't think videos. he wants to go. But I think Uman today is different than when I remember. I used to dive at Adish Kodesh. Yeah. And 20 years ago, there would be a small group of guys who'd be going. They'd have to live in this hovel in in, in, in Ukraine. No, not right? now. Today it's it's. Okay, see one second. I just want to be clear. Uh, uh, you're seg- you're segueing the question from a marriage question to to a no. All I'm trying to do is distinguish between Yarche Kala. Right, so Yarche Kala, there, there is what you said. Whatever the husband's enjoying, right, and that's the main point. But if the wife doesn't want to go to Yarche Kala, the wife doesn't want to go to the coastal, the wife doesn't want to go, then he can't go to any of those places. And if she doesn't mind, then, then I don't see the problem. If she, if she to get, if my wife would say, "This young kipper, your daughter's expecting, I, whatever, I don't want you going. I'm not going. I'm not going. Cause how can I stand in young kipper davening to Hashem when my wife's home and doesn't want me to be there?" So to all these questions that you're asking, whether it's basketball, like he says, or skiing, or whatever you want, you want to go skiing with your friends in Utah, whatever it is, and your wife's like, go, have a good time, Shafi, you work very hard, and you, you, you go, have a good time with your friends. I think that's beautiful. I don't think that's, uh, that, that, I don't think there's something wrong with that. Well, I, he says, don't go, No, I, think I don't he's, want you to go, then you can't go. I think he's segueing from, from a marriage question to, is, is it right for a guy, tell that's me, that's for, that's is that's it right for, for us right, okay, is it, but isn't that what you're at, okay. is it right for a guy to go to Uman, being that this is where it is today? No, I think the issue, no, you're not doing well for a breast of a guy. Is that a problem? Okay. Okay. Right. Um, it is now 10... What, what's, 10.30. I mean, what's the... 10.30 is I got to rock. 10.30. So we're kind of coming to the tail end of this. Does anybody have any... So first of all, I want to say, this is the second time we're doing this. This is much better. Cause it was yeah, this is awesome. So uh, I'm glad that <laughs> I didn't have to well. prepare for this. I, as far as topics go, from last time to this time, I think generally speaking... Um, it seems to be, I know tonight was all marriage, relationship, 
uh, that sort of thing. Last time we had some Ashkafa questions. I think we're going to try to mix it up. Uh, right? To mix it up. Yeah. I know that some folks put in some questions about more on the Ashkafa side, so I'm sorry we didn't get to it. Yeah, but this was working, and I think we just let it let it flow. Um, I was also There's a lot of Ashkafa in that in our right, discussion. Right, a hundred percent. Kai, 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 end with a story. Do you mind? Sure. Or you want to? No, no, no. Do you? I, well, I'll, let me do. Go ahead. Do your thing. You do, you do your I just wanted to. I don't remember if I thanked Avi and Esther Wiedemann for hosting right. and arranging. Um, I think it's a phenomenal idea. Yes. I hope yes. everybody, uh, you know, enjoys it and gets out of it. And and it's much nicer in the house. Yes, this is very good. Much Thank more you. I, I, if you're if you're gonna leave, stay for this story because I'm telling you, this is a worthwhile story. If you just came, stay for the story. Stay for the story. All right. So here's the story. Okay. So I, I just I had to share this because it was such an incredible story. When something happens to you, you just like you, I had a feeling like I just I have to spread this out to the world. So I, I want to throw this out there. My wife for our 10th anniversary, I got her a nice ring. It's, you know, has some diamonds in it, like a nice ring. A few years ago. I bought it for her, and she wears it by, you know, special occasions, whatever. A few weeks before Hanukkah, my wife misplaced the ring. She couldn't find it. She's been looking everywhere. She's turning over the house. Every day, she would come home from work. We live and work a block away from my house and my office are a block away from each other. So every day, she would go home early. She would rummage through the house, look through everything. She could not find this ring. She looked high and low. She can't find this ring. On Hanukkah... The yeshiva that I teach in, our Yitzchak, they hosted an event, and they usually have like a masiba, like a get-together. This year, they decided they're bringing Rabbi David Goldwasser to the yeshiva to give a speech for an hour. Okay, so I'm supposed to go, I'm part of the yeshiva, but during Hanukkah, my whole family got hit with like a bug, and we all just weren't feeling well. So I was back and forth, like, should I go? I'm not feeling well. Should I go? Should I not go? At the end, I decided I'm going to go, but I'm going to go late, and... Whatever happens, I'll go, I'll check in, and then I'll leave. It's just, it's a speech. It is what it is. I come to the speech, and as I pull up, my phone rings. An important call. So I was on the phone for, let's say, 20 minutes. I came into the speech late. I walk into the speech, and I sit down. And the second I walk in, Rabbi Goldwasser says, he says, I have to tell you something. You could have lost a diamond ring. I promise you, I'm going to tell you how to find it right now. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? So he says... What you have to do is you, you put your hand in your pocket and take out a few dollars and you say, Eleka de Meir Aneni. You say it three times and I promise you, you will find the ring. And he tells over a story. He says, I was with my wife upstate. We were in a camp and my wife took off her ring, gave it to me when she washed and I thought I gave it back to her. The ring got lost. Her diamond engage, engagement ring. And he says, we looked all over. We had the whole camp looking. Can't find the ring. They left Matzah Shabbos. His wife was not very thrilled. He wasn't very thrilled. They can't find the ring. Two weeks later, they're in Israel. They're in Tiberia by the cover of Rameir Balanes. He takes out some money. He remembers. He's, uh, he takes out some money. And he says, three times. And he says, a few minutes later, his phone rings. The story's on tour anytime. You could, you could check it out. His phone rings. Hi, how are you? Calling from the camp. You're not going to believe it. Guy was walking in the parking lot. Something caught his eye. He looks down. Found your wife's diamond ring. Mom's right now. He says, Rabbi say, I promise you, you could have lost the diamond ring. Just go home, take out the money, and just say, Elikad de Marinini, three times. I'm telling, I promise you, you're going to find, as he's saying this, 
I wasn't feeling well. I'm like, okay, I can't sit through the rest of this beat. So, <laughs> so, so I stand up. I'm like, okay, I got what I came for. Get up. I go home. I come into my house. And my wife teaches college. She just finished teaching. I said, you're not going to believe what I just heard. So my wife's like, listen, I'm really not feeling well. I, I said, no, you got to listen to this. I tell her over the story. So she says, what do you want to do? I said, let's do it. I said, take out $20. I'm like, okay, I like Katamir and Nene. So my wife's like, okay. <laughs> like, where's the ring? So I'm like, I don't know. So we're like, I don't know how this works. Put it, I have like a tzedakah pocket. Like I put it in my tzedakah pocket. And I said to my wife, we got to at least look. She says, listen, I'm, I'm sick. You're sick. We're going to go to sleep. Tomorrow we'll look for it. And I said, okay, no problem. So she goes upstairs. I'm locking up the house. I hear my wife shrieking from upstairs. I run up the steps. I'm like, no way. There's no way. I come upstairs. She's holding her diamond ring. I said, what happened? She said, I walked into the room. And there was one drawer that was like a little open. And I'm like, what is this drawer doing open? So she opens it up, she sticks her hand in, and the diamond ring had fell into this drawer, like underneath all of her clothing. I was like, I don't believe it. So I called her David Golasser, and I said, Rabbi, I gotta tell you the craziest story. You tonight, you said this whole thing. So he says, Ruby, I wanna tell you something. He says, that's not the craziest part of the story. He says, this story happened to me years ago, and I've never said this in public. Tonight, on my way out, I was thinking, I need a story. He says, and the story popped into my head, and I figured I'll throw it in. He says, don't you realize you came for only five minutes? If you would have come five minutes earlier, you would have missed the story. You would have come five minutes later, you would have missed the story. Like, that's the Yad Hashem. It's like so incredible. Like, it happened to me on Hanukkah. I was like, woo, like, this is like spooky wow. stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's like you see the Yad Hashem in your lives, and I think that, like, we, yeah, you get like goosebumps, no? You, it happens so many times. And then I, so I, I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is where my in laws are from, the next day. So on Shabbos, they asked me to speak in the shul. So I said over this whole story, and there was one guy there, and he goes, What's the words? I said, It's Elika de Marinade. And he goes, ah, I'm not going to remember that. Eh, forget it. That week on Tuesday, he lost his keys, but his keys, like with his wallet, his credit card, everything is all like together. And he, he sends a voice note to my father-in-law. What are those words against? So my father-in-law <laughs> sends him back the words. So he pulls out some money, and he says, and he pops down on the couch, and between the cushions, his keys come popping up. He, call, he, I, like, he calls my father, he's like, I don't believe this thing. So this I'm is like out of this so world. Gonna, so I was like, I have I'm to gonna, share this story in public. I'm going to double down on his story. Yeah. A few years ago, I was in, in the Crown Plaza in Connecticut for Shabbaton. I had just bought my wife a crazy, crazy expensive yellow diamond ring. Very, very expensive. We put it in the safe. We opened the safe after Shabbos, and it was gone. And we were sure that the, the, the chambermaid, that maybe, we didn't know, we thought we put it in the safe. My wife started thinking she put it on that, the debt, the debt, whatever it is. To make a long story short, um, it wasn't to be found. We called the head of housekeeping because this was a very expensive. And we said this woman stole it and da da da. And she said this woman's working here for 20 years. There's no way she stole it. And we looked through the gone. And it was like, it was like the whole Shabbaton was, everything was ruined. And I, I took out a $100 bill <laughs> the very expen- with a very expensive very ring. Expensive, yeah. And I said, the three times, whatever it was. And this head, the head of the, women who cleaned the rooms, came back to him and said, in the safe, under the carpet of the safe, there's a little corner, and sometimes we've had people in the past that put stuff in the safe, and put your finger in the little corner and see if it's there. There she was. 
same th same exact story. But it was a hundred dollars. You only twenty dollars. Me, it cost a hundred dollars. It really works. It really works. It really, really works. Very good. All right. All right. Thank you again. We really appreciate it. Beautiful. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.